The Magician's Elephant, Chapter 2 The day after the night that the elephant arrived, Peter was again at the market square. The fortune teller's tent was gone, and Peter had been entrusted with another floret. The old soldier had talked at great length and in excruciating detail about what Peter must purchase with the coin. Bread for one, and it must be bread that was at least a day old. Two days old, preferably, but three-day-old bread, if he could find it, would be best of all. Actually, see if you cannot locate bread with mold growing on it, said Vilma Lutz. Old bread is a most excellent preparation for being a soldier. Soldiers must become accustomed to rock-hard bread that is difficult to chew. It makes for strong teeth, and strong teeth make for a strong heart, and therefore a brave soldier. Yes, yes, I believe it to be true. I know it to be true. How hard bread and strong teeth and a strong heart were connected was a mystery to Peter, but as Vilna Lutz spoke to him that morning, it became increasingly obvious that the old soldier was once again in the grips of a fever and that not much sense would be gotten from him. You must ask the fishmonger for two fish and no more, Vilna Lutz said, sweat shone on his forehead. His beard was damp. Ask him for the smallest ones. Ask him for the fish that others would turn away. Why, you must ask him for those fish that the other fish are embarrassed to even refer to as fish. Come back with the smallest fish, but do not, do not, I repeat, come back to me with the lies of fortune tellers upon your lips. I correct myself. I correct myself. To say the lies of fortune tellers is redundancy. What comes from the mouths of fortune tellers is by definition a lie. And you, Private Duchenne, you must you must find the smallest fish possible. So Peter stood in the market square, in line at the fishmongers, thinking of the fortune teller and his sister and elephants and fevers and exceptionally small fish. He also thought of lies and who told them and who did not and what it meant to be a soldier, honorable and true. And because of all the thoughts in his head, he was listening only half an ear to the story that the fishmonger was telling to the woman ahead of him in line. Well, he wasn't much of a magician, and none of them was expecting much, you see. That's the thing. Nothing was expected. The fishmonger wiped his hands on his apron. He hadn't promised them nothing special, and they wasn't expecting it neither. Who expects something special nowadays anyway, said the woman, not me. I've worn myself out expecting something special. She pointed at a large fish. Give me one of the mackerels, why don't you? Mackerel it is, said the fishmonger, slinging the creature onto the scale. It was a very large fish. Vilna Lutz would not have approved. Peter surveyed the fishmonger's selection. His stomach growled. He was hungry and he was worried. He did not see anything alarmingly small enough to please the old soldier. Also, give me, give me catfish, said the woman, three of them. I want them with the whiskers longish, don't I? Tastier that way. The fishmonger put three catfish on the scale. In any case, he continued, they was all sitting there, the nobility, the ladies, and the princes, and the princesses, all together in the opera house, expecting nothing much. And what did they get? I don't even pretend to know, said the woman. What fancy people get is most surely a mystery to me. Peter shifted nervously from foot to foot. He wondered what would happen to him if he did not bring home a fish that was sufficiently small. 
There was no predicting what Vilna Lutz would say or do when he was in the grips of one of his terrible fevers. Well, they wasn't expecting an elephant. That much is true. An elephant, said the woman. An elephant, said Peter. At the sound of the impossible words on the lips of another, he felt shock travel from the tip of his feet to the top of his head. He stepped backward. An elephant, said the fishmonger, come right through the ceiling of the opera house, landed on top of a noblewoman named Levon. An elephant, whispered Peter. Ha, said the woman. Ha, ha, it most surely couldn't have. It did, said the fishmonger, broke her legs. Ah, the humor of it. And don't my friend Marcel wash the linens of Madame Levon. Ain't the world just as small as it can be. Just exactly, said the fishmonger. But please, said Peter, an elephant, an elephant, did, did, did you say that? Yes, said the fishmonger, I say an elephant. A and she came through the roof? Didn't I just say that? Where is this elephant now, please, said Peter. The police have got her, said the fishmonger. The police, said Peter. He put his hand up to his hat. He took his hat off and he put it back on and he took it off again. Is the child having some sort of hat-related fit, said the woman to the fishmonger. It's just as the fortune teller said, said Peter, an elephant. How's that, said the fishmonger. Who said it? It doesn't matter, said Peter. Nothing matters except that the elephant has come and what it means. And what does it mean, said the fishmonger. I would surely like to know. That she lives, said Peter. That she lives. Well, ain't that grand, said the fishmonger. We're always happy when people live, ain't we? Sure, and why not, said the woman. But what I want to know is what became of him who started it all. Where's the magician? Imprisoned him, said the fishmonger, didn't they? Put him in the most terrible cell of all and threw away the key. The prison cell to which the magician was confined was small and dark, but there was in the cell one window very high up. At night, the magician lay on top of his cloak on his mattress of straw and looked out the window into the darkness of the world. The sky was almost always thick with clouds, but sometimes if the magician stared long enough and the clouds would grudgingly part and reveal one exceedingly bright star. I intended only lilies, the magician said to the star. That was my intention, a bouquet of lilies. This was not, strictly speaking, the truth. Yes, the magician had intended to conjure lilies, but standing on the stage of the Bliffendorf Opera House before an audience that was indifferent to whatever small diversion he might perform and was waiting only for him to exit and for the real magic, the music of the virtuoso violinist, to begin. The magician was struck suddenly and quite forcibly with the notion that he had wasted his life. So he performed that night with the sleight of hand that would result in lilies, but at the same time, he muttered the words of a spell that his magic teacher had entrusted to him long ago. The magician knew the words were powerful and also given the circumstances, somewhat ill-advised. But he wanted to perform something spectacular, and he had. That night at the opera house, before the whole world exploded into screams and sirens and accusations, the magician stood next to the enormous beast and gloried in the smell of her, dried apples, moldy paper, dung. He reached out and placed a hand, one hand on her chest, and felt for a moment the solemn beating of her heart. This, he thought, I did this. And when he was commanded later that night by every authority imaginable, the mayor, a duke, a princess, the captain of police, to send the elephant back to make her go away, in essence, to disappear her. The magician had dutifully spoken the words as well as the words themselves backward as the magic required, but nothing happened. The elephant remained, 
absolutely, emphatically, undeniably there, her very presence serving as some indisputable evidence of his powers. He had intended Lily's, yes, perhaps, but he also wanted to perform true magic. He had succeeded, and so no matter what words he may have spoken to the star that occasionally appeared above him, the magician could summon no true regret for what he had done. The star, it should be noted, was not a star at all. It was the planet Venus. Records indicate that it shone particularly bright that year.